0: i the have your Bibles, hold it up and repeat after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Someone said there are two surefire ways to fill up a church building. One of them is to preach on sex. The other is to preach on the end times. And I want you to know this morning that I wasn't planning on Preaching on this topic this morning, but as I continued to read chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 of Daniel, I felt that God was compelling me to open up this passage and dive in and explain it to you the best I can. Now, I want to repeat that I'm going to explain it to you the best I can. Because the passage that we're going to look at is a very difficult passage. It's a hard to understand passage. And even Daniel, the one who was given this passage by God himself, had a difficult time understanding the visions that he received. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 8, Daniel says this. He said, I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. Daniel was given these visions by God, an angel explained the visions from God, and Daniel still had a hard time understanding them. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says this, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. There are things that, that only God knows. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that has been revealed to us. So that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. The Bible says there are some things that are secrets known only to God. And then there are things that have been revealed to man. But when it comes to the end times and what's going to happen in the future. I would say that even those things that have been revealed are cloudy at best. They're difficult to understand. And yet... I think that God wants us to understand them as best we can. But I believe the reason that they're cloudy, I believe the reason that God gives them to us veiled in symbolic language is because God doesn't want us to get caught up in the who and the when about when things are going to take place or who is going to be in power. But God wants us to focus on the what. What he has called us to do until he comes back. And that is to go and make disciples of all people. And yet at the same time, I believe God does want us to be aware of what's going on around us. And I believe God wants us to be prepared for what is going to happen in the future. Now, the first six chapters of Daniel deal mostly with historical material. They deal with the lives of Daniel and Daniel's friends, how they lived in Babylon, how they influenced the culture of their day. But when we get to chapter 7 and we look at these last six chapters, they deal primarily with prophetic things. They're prophetic in nature. God is telling Daniel what is going to happen to his people, the Jews, in the coming days and in the end times. The vision that Daniel sees in Daniel 7 through 12 take place in Daniel 1 through 6. The vision that Daniel sees in chapter 7 takes place during, during the first year of Belshazzar's reign. The vision that he sees in chapter 8 takes place during the third year of Belshazzar's reign. Chapter 9 takes place during the first year of Darius' reign. And then chapters 10 through 12, the visions that Daniel receives then, take place during the third year of King Cyrus' reign. Now this section of scripture, chapters 7 through 12, has been called the most comprehensive and detailed prophecy of future events found anywhere in the Old Testament. God tells Daniel what is going to happen in the near future but also what is going to happen at the very end of the age. Now the truth of the matter is, this morning we're going to be looking at a lot of history in a short amount of time. So I would encourage you to buckle up, try to stay engaged, and I'm going to try to make this as clear as I possibly can. And what I want to do is break these chapters down into five coming events that give us a countdown to God's kingdom. And then as we close, I want to share with you one final truth. Now the first thing that God tells Daniel is that a storm is brewing in symbolic language, but with pinpoint accuracy, God tells Daniel about coming kingdoms and coming kings. Listen to what he says in Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. In my vision that night, I, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with, with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. Now the storm that Daniel sees unleashes four beasts upon the world. The first was a lion with eagle's wings, whose wings are torn off, but, but is given a human mind. The second is, is a, like a bear that is raised up on one side, and we are told that that bear will devour the flesh of many. The third appeared to look like a leopard, and it had four wings and four heads, and, and we're told that it was given great authority. And the final beast was terrifying and strong with with iron teeth. Now these four beasts correspond to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2. Do you remember that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? And the interpretation that God gave Daniel of that dream? God told Daniel that, that that statue represented different coming kingdoms. The the first, the head of gold, was the kingdom of Babylon. But that kingdom would come to an end. And then it tells us about three other kingdoms that would come. But it ends by telling us about ten toes that seem to represent this this confederacy that comes in the end time. But then we're told that, that God's kingdom would come. And God would crush all the kingdoms of the world. And, and his kingdom would rule and reign forever. Now in chapter 7, we, we see this lion with, with eagle's wings. And, and that's Babylon. Babylon who is about to fall to the Medes and the Persians. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is this one who who his wings are are taken off and, and he's given a human mind because if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God and he finally came to this point that he realized that God was the one true God. And then we're told about this bear, the Medes and the Persians, with Persia being the strongest of the two. And the Medes and the Persians were brutal people in history. If you've seen that movie 300, the Spartans were fighting the Persians in that movie. They were brutal people that would conquer and destroy and devour people. But the Persians fell to the Greeks under the leadership of Alexander the Great. And and Alexander's kingdom swept across the world swiftly. And, And it went all the way to India. But at age 32, Alexander the Great suddenly died without any successor in place. And at a battle, at 301 BC, the Battle of Ipsus, the Greek Empire was broken into four empires given to the four generals under Alexander. And this tells us about these four wings and these four heads Of this leopard. But the leopard doesn't last forever. We're told about this final beast that would come with with iron teeth. And this is Rome. And and Rome literally came into the world so swiftly. Crushing all of its enemies. But we're going to see in a few moments that, that this Roman empire that we read about is different than all the others. Because even though it ends, it does not end. So that's what we see at the beginning of chapter 7. In chapter 8, Daniel has another vision that that goes into greater detail describing the the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. And he tells us that the Medes and the Persians are this ram with two horns and, and they butt everything out of the way. But all of a sudden a goat comes with one long horn that literally devours and destroys the ram. That goat, again, is the kingdom of Greece. And that horn is Alexander the Great. But in that vision that Daniel had, that one horn is broken off and four other horns grow in their place. This is telling us about these four kingdoms that will come in Greece. Now the amazing thing is, if you don't believe me, You haven't read world history. Because world history reveals each of these things taking place with pinpoint accuracy just like Daniel saw. But then Daniel gets even more precise in what's going to happen to the Jews. He tells us that from one of these four horns will come another small horn whose power is very great. In chapter 8 verses 11 through 13, this is what it says about the little horn. It says, the little horn even challenged the commander of heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. The the army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion. In other words, God did not allow heaven to respond to what was going on on earth. So the daily sacrifice was halted and truth was overthrown. The the horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard the two holy ones talking to each other. One of them asked, how long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple in heaven's army be trampled? Now, some of you may say, well, this little horn was the Antichrist. But this little horn wasn't the Antichrist. This little horn in chapter 8 is a picture of the Antichrist. But this little horn is a historical figure that has already come to earth. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. He came from the Seleucid line of these Greek successors. And, And Antiochus Epiphanes ruled Syria from 175 to 163 BC. He's been called the Hitler of the Old Testament. Because he hated the Jews so much. And in 170 BC, Antigas entered into Jerusalem. He killed over 80,000 Jews. He killed all the men, he killed women, pregnant women, he killed children, he sent another 40,000 into slavery. He prohibited the Jews from celebrating the Sabbath, from from celebrating circumcision, from obeying Levitical laws. And at the climax of Antiochus Epiphanes' reign, he replaced the altar in the temple in Jerusalem with an altar to Zeus. And he sacrificed a pig to Zeus. On the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. This is the desecration that, that caused sacrilege. And this is the event that Daniel saw taking place in human history. But what you need to understand is that there are times that prophecy describes a person and an event. But that person and event also foreshadows another person and another event that has not yet taken place. And that's what happens right here. Because when Jesus talks about this event, he talks about it as something that has not yet happened yet in in Matthew 14 and in Mark 13. And when Paul talks about this event in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's talking about it as an event that has not yet taken place. And so we're told that, that this desecration took place in 170 BC, but it is also something that is going to take place in the future to the Jews as well. The Bible tells us that when Daniel saw this vision, he was so overwhelmed without how horrifying it was that he got literally sick. What he saw was so horrifying, so terrible, so awful that he was sick for several days. Now why did God reveal this to his people? I believe John Calvin said it best when he said, The faithful were informed beforehand of these grievous and oppressive calamities to induce them to look up to God when oppressed by such extreme darkness. You see, God was revealing these things that were going to happen so that when they would happen, God's people would not focus on the event that was taking place, but they would focus on the God who is over all events. And you see, I believe that one of the reasons God reveals to us things that are going to happen in the future is so that when they do happen, we will not be overwhelmed by them. And we will not focus our attention on them, but we will focus our attention on the God who is over all history. Now, if you read chapter 11, you will discover that, that God goes into even greater detail about the Greek Empire, even to the point of talking about Cleopatra. You've heard of Cleopatra, right? Daniel chapter 11 talks about Cleopatra. Now, why is it important that Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11 give us this history of things that have already happened with such pinpoint accuracy? Can I tell you what I believe? I believe it so that the people of our day and age can trust the Bible. When we look at the prophecies that have already been given and taken place exactly as they were written, we can know with certainty that the prophecies that have not yet taken place will happen just as God has said. We can trust his word. But I believe another reason that God gives us these prophecies is so that we will know that even in the midst of horrifying times, God is in control. God never leaves his throne. In Daniel chapter 2, when, when God gave Daniel the, the meaning of the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had, Daniel said this, God controls the course of world events. He removes kings. He sets up other kings. But there's something else I want you to know about this passage and what's going on. You see, behind these earthly powers and behind these earthly kings are spiritual powers. You see, what is happening on earth is being controlled in the spiritual realm. The physical world and the battles that we're facing are taking place in the spiritual realm as well. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is praying and the angel Gabriel comes to him um, and this is what he says. Gabriel says, then, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I've come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, listen, the spirit prince of the king of Persia blocked my way. So there's this angel that is coming in response to a prayer that Daniel has prayed. But he says, I wasn't able to get here sooner because the spirit prince, say, and demonic, angelic being has blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the king of Persia, kingdom of Persia. Now now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. It goes on to say this, Do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the king of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the king of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince, the the angel, the power over Israel. And I've been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Behind each of these rulers in human history, behind each of these kingdoms, there is a spiritual ruler. Daniel is experiencing firsthand what the apostle Paul would write about later on. In Daniel chapter 6 verse 12, Paul says this. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, what is being acted out here on earth is being fought in the spiritual realm. And what that tells us, listen, church, that tells us that our primary weapon is, in the war that we're raging is not physical it is spiritual our primary weapon is prayer we need to be praying against the enemy we need to be praying against what he is doing and so daniel sees this storm that is brewing the next thing that daniel sees is that the messiah is coming In chapter 9, after Daniel prays, a message is given to him by Gabriel. In verse 24, this is the message. I want you to listen. It's amazing. He says, A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, literally the Messiah, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Now, the Bible says that 70 sets of seven or or 70 weeks have been decreed for Daniel's people, the Jews, and the holy city, Jerusalem. Now, virtually everyone says that the 70 weeks or the 70 sets of seven is speaking of years. And so what this would mean is that 490 years have been decreed for the Jewish people. Now put that in the back of your mind. God has a timetable. And that timetable is 490 years. Those years have been decreed. They have been written in stone for the Jewish people. And we're told at the end of these 490 years, there will be an end to sin and everlasting righteousness will come, and the promise will be revealed. Now, this is where it gets pretty cool. We're told in this passage of Scripture that, that the timetable begins when the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, we know exactly when that happened. The command to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple occurred on March the 5th, 444 B.C., it was given by Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2. And so if we want to track God's timetable, we can begin on March of 444 B.C. And then we're told, as we continue to read, that seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass before the anointed one, the Messiah, comes. Now this is 483 years. So the Bible says that from the time that the decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the time that the Messiah comes will be 483 years. Now listen, this is crazy. From 444 B.C., using the Jewish calendar... 483 years in the future will be 30 A.D. Right slab in the ministry of Jesus. Daniel was told specifically when the Messiah would come. Now take a moment to meditate on that truth. We are told with pinpoint accuracy when Jesus' ministry on this earth would begin and it happened in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 the apostle Paul says at just the right time Jesus came but the scripture continues it says as the scripture continues that the Messiah is killed appearing to have accomplished nothing what happened to Jesus he was killed What did the Jews believe? He accomplished nothing. The Jews were looking for a Messiah that would deliver them. They were looking for a Messiah that would deliver them from the Babylonians, from the Persians, from the Greeks, from the Romans. But Jesus was crucified on a cross by the Romans. He was put there at the request of the Jewish religious leaders. And the Jews... They're still looking for their Messiah today. Now for those who have placed our trust in Jesus, we know that his death accomplished a lot. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, the very last words he said is, It is finished. It's done. It's been accomplished. Jesus accomplished exactly what he came to accomplish. But the Jews, they didn't receive him. And so here's where it gets interesting. And this is where, to be honest with you, people disagree. But here's what I believe. I believe at this point in the history of the Jews, the pause button is hit. We are living in the church age. The Jews are not the primary people on earth today. The church is God's primary people today. Does that mean that God's finished with the Jews? Absolutely not. God has a plan for them. The timetable is going to start ticking again in the future. But at present, the pause button has been hit. We're living in this church age. 69 weeks, 483 years have passed. That takes us to the third truth, and that is the forces of darkness will launch their final attack with the Antichrist. I want you to look again at chapter 9, verse 24. It says, and a ruler will arise whose armies. Now, I love the New Living Translation. It's the one I preach from. It's the one I read, but but right here, the New Living Translation and some other translations can be confusing. The Hebrew literally reads, and the people of the ruler who is to come. In other words, what this is saying is that the people who are a part of this ruler who is to come will destroy the city and the temple. And so the people of this ruler who has not yet come but is to come will destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple. This occurred in 70 A.D. General Titus. Roman general came into Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and the temple has still not been rebuilt. It goes on to say, the end will come with a flood and war, and, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. And then it says this, the ruler who is to come, not yet come, but who is to come, Will make a treaty with the people. What people? The Jewish people. This is who this is written to. Will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, the final seven years. But after half this time, three and a half years. He will put an end to the sacrifices and offering. And as a climax to all of his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decree for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Now these verses here are referring to these final seven years on the calendar for the Jews. The period for the Jews will start back at a clear moment in history that has not yet happened. When the Antichrist, who is to come, makes a treaty with the Jewish people, the Jewish calendar will start back again. From that moment on to the coming of Jesus will be seven years. The Bible tells us at three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to break that treaty with the Jews. And that's when the onslaught of the Antichrist will be horrifying and terrible. Now, Daniel tells us about this Antichrist in other places. In Daniel chapter 7, the Antichrist is called the the little horn. Listen to what it says. Then he said to me, the fourth beast in the fourth world power that will rule the earth, it will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling, crushing, everything in its path. It's ten horns or ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different from the other ten who will subdue three of them. And these are things that have not yet happened. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under his control for time, time and half a time, three and a half years. The Jews will be under the control of the Antichrist. Now, as you're reading through this passage, it seems to indicate that, that in the end times, there's going to be this resurrected Roman Empire that will consist of seven nations, seven kingdoms, seven countries that will rule together. It will be kind of a reformation of this Roman Empire. Now, what is amazing is this. In 1957, at a treaty called the Treaty of Rome, the European Economic Union was established. The EU is now the largest trading bloc in the world. It is the second largest economy, second to the United States, in the world. Is the European Union and perhaps even the United States being a part of that union that happens in the future? Is this this ten-nation confederacy that it talks about here? I don't know. But it sure could be. And what I know is we are moving closer and closer and closer to these days. And the Bible says that when the Antichrist takes over, there will be a time of great terror We call it the great tribulation in Revelation, but Daniel talks about it in Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. He says, at that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Did you get that? Gabriel says there is going to come a time on earth that is worse than any other time that the world has ever seen. I believe that's what's described in Revelation chapter 6 and following. So so the Antichrist comes to power. This leads us to the fourth event, and that is Christ will return and set up his kingdom. Listen to what it says in Daniel 7, verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Verse 21 continues, as I watched, this horn was waging war against God's people and was defeating them until the ancient one, the most holy, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. And then it continues in verse 26, but then the court will pass judgment on all his power and all his power will be taken away, the Antichrist, completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty and power and greatness all the kingdoms of under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. God's going to set up his kingdom. We look at a world that seems like it's in chaos today. But understand God's kingdom is coming. And God's kingdom when it comes will rule and reign forever. But that's not the end. Because Daniel also saw another event. He tells us that the resurrection of the dead will take place and everyone will be judged. We need to understand that. One day we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. Daniel chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 it says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. listen to the promise that God gives to Daniel in in verse 13. It says, as for you, Daniel, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. God's promise to Daniel. You're going to die, but you're going to be resurrected. And you're going to spend eternity with me. You see, God wins. God's people win. But there's a final thing I want you to see here and hold on to. And that's in Daniel chapter 7. In the midst of all this chaos and in the midst of all this carnage that Daniel sees, he gets this glimpse of heaven. And listen to what he saw. says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient ones sat down to judge His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Revelation tells us of a day just like this, when God was set on his throne, The great white throne judgment. When the books will be opened. We will see God in all of his glory, in all of his holiness, in all of his righteousness. And the books will be opened. And we'll be judged. And some of us, because of our faith in Jesus, will go to everlasting life. Others of us, because of our pride and our refusal to trust Jesus, will go into everlasting destruction. Which are you? I mean, this is going to happen to every one of us. Which one are you? Here's what I know. When the books are opened, none of us are going to measure up. Those books are going to show all of our deeds, all of our unworthy acts, all of our failures, all of our flaws. Those books are going to reveal our guilt. Well, there's another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, your name will be in that book. And everything that is written in the other book will be erased because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So, where are you? Are you trusting in your goodness? Do you think that one day you're going to stand before God and, and tell Him all the things that you've done? Or do you realize that you are a wretched sinner? Not deserving of God's grace and mercy, but in His love. He has richly poured out His grace on us through His Son, Jesus. And He fills us with the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us through life. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never been filled with His Spirit, then I pray today... You'll humble yourself before God. Give Him your heart and give Him your life and let Him save you. I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you know that you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus, but today you're ready to acknowledge your sin and guilt. You're ready to cry out to Jesus for mercy and trust his blood to save you. You're ready to let His Spirit fill you and make you new. Then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to Him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today, acknowledging I am a sinner, I'm a rebel. I've lived as if I am on the throne. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Jesus, I know you love me. I know you came to this earth. You died in my place on that cross. You rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm asking you to save me. I need you to fill me with your spirit. Because I know I can't live the life I want to live apart from you. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.